Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we celebrate our high school graduates' achievement of finishing their commitments to school. But in many ways, it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. The message for today is out of Psalm 4, and it's geared to these graduates so that they can identify the temptations of sin as evidenced by the world's opposing values of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Thanks for listening. Uh, This past week, I saw what is my favorite thing of the spring into the summer, which are the brand new baby fawns popping out. Did you, anyone else see any fawns this past week? Yep, I saw, I saw two of them. Just, I'm such a sap, you guys. That's just how it is. Just melts my heart seeing them tumble on those little twig legs that they have running through the woods. Um, one of the things I noticed, though, as these fawns uh, come out, they're always following very near their mommies, right? That's what a good fawn would do. And, and for a good season of their growth, that's what they do. They follow wherever their mom leads them because Hopefully, the mom is going to know these are the paths to walk on. These are the places to avoid. This is where the good fields and the good grasses grow. That's, that's what a mom does. But then eventually, like any uh, adolescent, teenage, oh boy, there comes a day where they go, the, go off their own way. And uh, you don't see grown deer necessarily following their mothers anymore. Now, now you see them off on their own and... Um, I, I think it's, it's all too easy an illustration to see as we drive along the highway that some of these deer uh, walked into a path that was a trap. It was a place that uh, for them was not going to lead to a fruitful and a productive life. It was something to be avoided. It was a place not to go. This is the last lesson that I'm going to give to you as students, right? After this, it's up to you. You're, you're the ones who hopefully will decide to continue to chase after God, to follow after God. There's only so much that parents and pastors can do. Ultimately, the decision is up to you. Am I going to continue to follow the ways of God? Those ways to which my, my loving mom and, and those who, who want the best for my life has shown me to go in these ways. Now the decision is going to be up to you. Do you know that uh, statistically, uh, two out of every three graduates from high school quit going to church? Do you know that that's statistically true? Um, let, let's just give a little interaction with you this morning. Show of hands, regular church attendance. Let's see, that's like twice a month. Like that's the bare minimum. Guys! <laughs> so, so this would be two out of every three quit going to church. After graduation, uh, church is not something... I'm going to focus in on this side, right over here. Church, you, you might think church could be a little bit boring, and I'm, I'm with you there. It can be. I remember being a young person, too, not quite understanding all the formality. Why do we go through all these things? The, the thing that needs to be uh, deconstructed within church for all of us is that church is not a building. It isn't a place. It is a people. And so you are the church. You are and as we look through the story of the Old and the New Testament, routinely, you see those who God wants to speak to most of all, not being the old curmudgeonly folks that have to come to church, or the sweet little ladies with white hair. It's not those. Do you know who it is that the, the Spirit continually speaks to? It's the teenagers. It's the teenagers that God is reaching out to. The future of the faith. Who's, whose hands is it in, church? 
It's in their hands. This is the entirety of the heart behind this church's effort to invest in the next generation. Because we know that it rests on your shoulders. So, there it is before you. Again, there's been a time where you were encouraged, right, mom and dad? Encouraged to come to church. I'm saying that we should probably do that a little more here, mom and dad, right? Encourage them to come to church, but after this, now it's up to you. It's not something external. It's not something that belongs to your parents. It's offered to you. It belongs to you guys. So what, what I want to do is uh, we're going to read through Psalm 4. So I see you've got those nice commentaries sitting right in front of you. You can find Psalms right there in the middle. Uh, invite the rest of the church here to turn to it. Uh, the theme of this uh, is going to be confidence in the evening. And that's the theme of Psalm 4 here. As the psalmist is going to look to facing a world where they are not wanting to follow after God, he's going to ultimately come to the conclusion his confidence is in the Lord and he can rest at night knowing that he could trust in the Lord. Um, I do want to give you a heads up, though, students. There's going to be a quiz at the end. <laughs> just a heads up. So, want to make sure we're ready for that. Just, uh, just before we read through this, I, I want to start by um, highlighting for you what uh, John the Apostle writes to the church as he's going to outline the difference between those who follow after the Lord and those who follow after the Lord, uh, uh, the world versus the Lord. He lists out three traps, and these are the ones that I'm going to list for you today. Listen to 1 John 2.16. It says, for everything in the world, and he lists three things here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. Three categories are mentioned there. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These three categories we are going to see um, woven into Psalm 4. And that's what we're going to try to break apart, right? So basically three sections to this message as we seek to outline three traps, right? That's what I'm trying to highlight for you today. Three areas for you to watch out for. Church, can you say watch out to them? Ready? Watch out out for these things. So here we go. Psalm 4. I will read through it. Verse 1 says, uh, and with the prologue here, For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek after false gods? Selah. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. So, eight short verses. 
the, the trajectory of this psalm is one by which the psalmist is facing people who are ridiculing his faith. This is the issue, right? This, this guy believes in God, but there are people who are really kind of, you know what, that's a, that's a childish thing. You, you still go to church. You still go to church. I mean, that's what, that's what we did as little kids. Who would do that any longer? Right? This is the attitude that's coming from the world. This is what he's facing. This is the distress in his life, but he believes something to be true. He believes that God has chosen people for himself so that when those people cry out to God, God will what? God will hear what they say. God's going to listen to their cry. And then in the middle here, we have some really important instructions. There are actually ways that we need to reform our heart because they're in opposition to how the world acts and how the world would respond. That shows up in the middle here, dealing with anger, dealing with sacrifices. And then the end of the psalm concludes again with this confidence that he now has. A confidence that says, even in the midst of people saying, yeah, your God ain't going to supply anything. We're going to look elsewhere to find the good stuff, right? But from God, I'm interested. He's going to say, no, God's face is going to shine upon us. And I know that I can have confidence such that you guys go nuts when the harvest time is here, when the wine is flowing. You think joy is found there? True joy, he's going to say, is found. It's actually from the Lord because I can lie down at night and I can sleep in peace. And I can know that God has me in the palm of his hand. Guys, you, you know, you can't buy that type of peace. The, the older you get, the more stress you're going to get. Amens? I didn't hear you. The older you get, the more stress you're going to get. And, and our world has really found that the best way they want to handle that is with medication. You, you can, doctors will prescribe things that will just try to balance you out a little bit, right? Or, or some people don't even go to the doctor. They find their own. I'm just going to use medication in quotes here. You all know what I'm referring to. Um, that they think that's going to help them to, to get through the difficulties of their life. That's all temporary, and that's all a facade, thinking that you're actually finding joy. True joy and peace is something you can't buy. It's found only in God. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk you through some observations, give you the first trap here as we've been looking at this. Number one, you're going to face an idol in your life, and it's the idol of more. Just need to get a little bit more. Uh, This this becomes a, a trap that you can easily fall into right after high school and really going into college, uh, thinking that you are going to be offered opportunities and you're never really going to be satisfied with what you have. You're always going to want just a little bit more. This is called the lust of the eyes. Always want to get more. Never have enough. Uh, The psalmist lays this out here in verse 2. He says, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek after false gods? The Hebrew word here is uh, really talking about these Empty lies. There's this emptiness that people of the world chase after. They think they're actually gaining something, but they really end up with nothing. Did you know that the majority, I think it's actually close to uh, three out of every four people who win the lottery end up losing all of that money? Where, where to go? Where is it? What happens to it after you're dead and gone? Do you see how everything in this life that you would chase after for just getting a little bit more, it actually is temporary and none of it lasts? In the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer says it this way. He says, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. The very next verse, though, check this out, says this. What has been will be again. What has been will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Uh, You are going to face 
the idol in your life. Maybe you've encountered this already, of just wanting to get more, never being satisfied, never having enough. The answer to this is, it's truly is contentment. Um, you, you guys know the story of the prodigal son? Have you heard that before, prodigal son? This is a kind of a kid your age, and what he does is he knows that he will get an inheritance one day from his father when his father dies, but he don't want to wait. You guys know what that's like, right? Come on, life's right out there. You know, I just can't wait to grow up. I can't wait to graduate. Give me an amen or something here. You <laughs> right, a little nod, right? You know what that's like? Okay, that's what this kid does, right? He goes to his dad and he says, give me my inheritance now, which in effect is asking what of his dad. He's saying what? I wish you were dead. Yeah, I really wish you were dead because I want what's coming to me. I want it now. And so the father, in a very loving fashion, um, knowing the foolishness of his son and having the confidence that God will return him, all that's implicit in the proverb, um, he gives him half of Half of what's uh, his, gives it to him. And you know what the kid does? He goes out, squanders it, I think, is the King James uh, translation there, in wild living. This guy's living it up, right? He's buying all the nicest, newest. He's going to the club. (laughs) (laughs) Having a great time, fastest car, enjoying life, until guess what happened to all the cash? In the text, this is an awesome part of the story. The, the cash runs out, and he looks around. His friends are gone, too. And that's how it will work with the world, right? When things are going good, you'll find people around you wanting to get some of that good time for themselves. But when it runs out, it's gone. The problem is this young man was struggling with the lust of the eyes. He was never satisfied with enough. Um, he never knew contentment. Do you guys know what this um, abbreviation means? F-O-M-O. Have you heard that before? FOMO. Anyone heard that before? Uh, I'll help you out here. It means the fear of missing out. Kids today have this fear of missing out. What? There's, a, there's something on Facebook. There's a party. What is it? What's happening? And they, they, you have this internal desire that you might miss something awesome that's going to happen. Here's another one. Maybe you know this one. YOLO? What does that mean? Thank you, Grant. I appreciate you, Smeal. That's right. So you only live once. By the way, that is wrong. That is a complete lie. That is, that is from the depths of hell. Because if it's true you only live once, I'm kind of on board with what the world wants to do. They don't think, they don't hear it. So when I originally, when I hear that, I think, man, I've got to use my life well. Right? I only live once. I've got to make good decisions. They're not using it in that sense. They use it in the sense that I need to grab now. I need to get what's mine now because you only live once? Is that what the Bible says? Is it true that we only this is a lie. If you believe that you only live once, you will begin to make decisions that will just move you further and further away from God. All right, here's another one. These are all terms, by the way, that made, made their way into the dictionary recently. Here's another one. Clickbait. You know what clickbait is? Yeah, th- these are these um, tempting little headlines on, a, on an article or something that, that trick you, but there's really, they're just vacuous and vain. There's no substance behind them. But they're fooled into tricking you that there's something you might miss. Uh, for, for those older folks here, I'm going to give you an example of that. So uh, here is a, here's a very benign picture of uh, Cody, right? This was taken a few years ago. I went to our website. If I wanted to turn this into clickbait, I could do something like this. Local teen tried to break into home. Click here to find out what happens next. You totally clicked that, wouldn't you? Or how about this one? Right, these two young ladies helping out here, doing a good job. We could turn this into clickbait, right? Local teens find buried treasure. Click here to see what they uncover. 
Or how about this real innocent picture? Right? That, so there's not much I could do with that one, right? Swindle your church into turning cards into cash. Click here to find out how. Think with me even what that term means. I've got to take that down. You're not paying attention anymore. It's bait. What do we use bait for? Think with me now. What do you use bait for? Oh, to feed the fish? Is that what you're trying to do? To give them a nice little meal, help them out? Is that what bait does? Bait is designed to hook them and drag them where they don't want to go and to kill and destroy them. That's what bait is designed for. This is out of James chapter 1. He writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. That's what clickbait does. You and I, we see this almost. We've probably even grown so accustomed to running into this in our world. You have forgot the way in which this is a deception to lead you and prey upon an idol that you put in your life of saying, boy, I just want to know what's, something more is out there. I just want to see what's next, right? It's the idol, the lust of the eyes, the feeling like I can chase after more. Let me give you the second idol to watch out for. Here's the second trap, all right? This is the idol of success. The idea that really what I need to do in life is become successful according to the world's standards. Uh, The real problem with this is because it puts you first. That's what the idol of success will do. If you don't chase after um, working hard, I'm not talking about hardworking here, because uh, being a hard worker in life is something that brings glory to God. The Bible, I could go 20 more minutes on that, just outlining that. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the one who says, I want to get from me. That's called the pride of life. You will be tempted. It is a trap. That you will run into without being aware of. Of falling into this idea that success for me is really what I need to chase after. This is what Jesus says in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. If you look back with me in Psalm 4, you will see in verse 6, here's what the people are saying. Many are asking, who can show us any good? This right here is coming from the people surrounding David saying, you know what, we got to turn to whatever channel we need to be able to get a harvest. We want to reap rewards and someone's got to offer us the best thing. And so there's this constant shifting after what is going to give me the best reward for my time. Who who can show me something better? Who's the highest bidder that I can get something for who? That's what success will do. The idol of success will put you at the center. And Jesus here tells us that um, when it comes to God, there is something in our world today that's the most hideous thing to take you away from him. And it's money. Uh, Lois and Tom, can I get you to help me out here for a minute? All right, now I need a volunteer. So last time I stepped off the right here. Thank you. All right. I was going to think I was going to get anybody. All right, Tom, if you will go stand right over on that side, that's for you. Lois, if you can stand over on this side, you can come stand right here. All right, here's our situation. Here's our situation. On this side, we have, show them what you got. This is the allure of the almighty dollar right here. Right? And on this side, we have God's will. Show them what you got, Lois. Following after the ways of the Lord. Now, both of these in your world today are going to try to entice you. All right, ready? Here we go. Let's see which way she goes. 
Jesus' words here teach us that you can't serve two masters. Paul uh, highlights this to Timothy as well. 1 Timothy 6, he says, Those who want to get rich fall into a what? Trap. There is a trap that is set for you after success. You fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Let me make sure you all caught that. It's not money's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And what happens is, the closer you get to God, the less you are concerned about loving money. God knows you need money. God says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. You will have everything that you need in life. If you set your compass on the right heading to pursue God and seek God first of all, You don't have to worry about money. You will lose the love for money. But if, in fact, you do love money, you will find this becomes where you turn for help. This becomes where you look when times are tough. Boy, do I have enough money in the account. I think I need to make it on my own. And all of these folks in here who have years of wisdom and experience can tell you that God alone provides the peace that can allow you to sleep and rest at night. You will run out of this. The prodigal son did. I want to have you turn in your Bibles to a passage here. We're going to read very quickly into Matthew 19. So if you have Bibles, turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19. For the first idol of more, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. Uh, Now for the idol of success, I want you to see the picture here of what's called the rich young ruler or the rich young man. Matthew 19. Starting in verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones the man, the man acquired? Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? Watch this now, verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Is that sobering? Boy, that speaks to me living in America. Richest country on earth. Next line says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Jesus says to him, look, stop your love of this. Let go of this. And then follow me. And this is, again, my challenge to you. Is that you, as you graduate, no longer have that influence 
that maybe you used to yield to, to follow after God. Now it's up to you if you come to church. Now it's up to you if you get involved in serving God. When he says, follow me, and you say, ah, I, don't, I don't know if I really like where you're going to lead. What you're doing is the same thing that that rich man was doing. Because you have fallen into a trap. The idol of success is going to cause you not to look to say, God, take this life and all that you have given to me is all yours. It's going to say, boy, I just want to hold on to what's mine. I just want to keep what's mine. In your world that we live in, it's going to offer you the idol of more, the lust of the eyes. It's going to offer you the idol of success. That's the pride of life. And the last one here I want to show you is the idol of indulgence. Turn back with me to Psalm 4. Verse 7 is kind of the conclusion of it. He says, you have filled my heart with greater joy. And then he makes this contrast to what the world finds joy in. Check it out. Here it is. When their grain and their new wine abound. Grain and wine. It's harvest time. It's getting more for your belly. In your world today, uh, especially with young people, this is, this is the lust of the flesh. These are the temptations that come by virtue of you having a falling flesh. In a lot of ways, this will be um, shown by sexual passions, where you will make decisions based upon your hormones rather than based upon God's plan and his purpose for your life. This, this is the same idea of the person who runs a race and they're just so thirsty afterwards. Right? That's, that's a lust of the flesh. This is the person who works such a hard day's work and they just want to go to sleep at night. right? Because that's the lust of the flesh. You will find that this is something that you will have to make a decision on. I would encourage you to make decisions upon how you respond to the lust of the flesh before you get in the need to make that decision. Jesus says again, follow me. Don't indulge. Don't, don't go above and beyond what you need. Follow after his plan. And this is an idol that you, you need to be aware of. So let, let me wrap this up. A few points of con- or conclusion or application. I want to give you three ways that you can avoid these traps that actually come from this text. So how do, how do you avoid these? Number one, call upon the Lord. If you look back with me in the psalm, verse 1 and verse 3, they lay this out as step one. Answer me, he says, when I call to you. Oh, my righteous God, deliver me. Give me relief from my distress. And then again in verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. If you turn to God and call upon God, do you know what that's actually showing? It's showing that when you, like the world, would rather have a lust of the flesh to find satisfaction in what they had for that day, wine and grain, when you call upon God, you're actually saying, I don't find my satisfaction on things of earth. I find my satisfaction in Christ alone. You, you know what that word satisfied means? It means I, I'm not searching anymore. When you're satisfied, you're, I, I'm, I'm at home. I'm content. I'm not, I'm not reaching and looking, looking and scrambling for more for myself. I'm satisfied in God. That is the answer to the lust of the flesh. And it's evidenced by a people who've been set apart by him who call upon his name. Secondly is this. Remind yourself that you belong to God. The world is going to try to discourage you on this one. They're going to try to change your mind on it. You don't really belong to God. You're not one of those Christians. It's exactly what the psalmist was struggling with in verse 2. Look with me there again. Verse 2, he says, How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame. 
The glory for the believer is satisfaction in God, but the world doesn't want that. They think that that's shameful. They're going to come at you. And do you know how you handle that? Do you know how you respond to this? Because this is the response to what's called the pride of life. The pride of life is saying, nope, it's all about me, rather than being all about God. And the way that you handle that is you remind yourself, no, I don't belong to myself. I belong to God. I am His. Such that when I call, He will answer me. This is verse 3. Look again with me in verse 3. He says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. I belong. I don't belong to the world. These temptations and everything out there that would say, get yours, man, it's time for you. You're going to say, you know what? That's not actually true because I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. Number one, call upon the Lord and you will handle the lust of the flesh. Remind yourself you belong to God and you will handle the pride of life. And the last one I want to give you here is reconcile your relationships. Two verses that we haven't spent too much time on yet in this psalm are verse four and five. We heard it, though, as Paul outlined it for what Sandy read in Ephesians, right? He says, uh, do not let the sun go down in your anger. In, in your anger, do not sin. That's exactly, he's, he, Paul was reading this when he wrote that. This is where that comes from. Verse 4, in your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. I think, I think really what David is doing here, even though he's speaking this to these men that he's addressing, I think he's telling himself. Have you ever, have you ever had a, like an argument with someone at school? Never. That never happened to me. Yeah. So someone you didn't get along with. Have you ever had it where like throughout your day you kind of just they continue to go through your mind as what kind of jerks they are, right? And you're tempted to go on Facebook and be like, say Twitter, say that's not any of you, right? That's I'm talking to the wrong crowd. Here. This idea of where they continue to roll over your mind as people that you don't want to connect with. That happens because you have placed your contentment not in God, but you placed it in yourself and what you can receive. Contentment is the answer. And the way that contentment is seen in our, in our world today is by reconciling those relationships. Because you know what the opposite of contentment will be? It will be you sitting on your bed at night thinking, boy, they ought to get what's coming to them. Well, it ain't right what they did. Justice, justice, justice. This is why you don't sleep at night and why these conversations continue to go through your mind because you don't have contentment to say, you know what, I'm just going to leave it up to God. God's going to be the judge to handle that. I'm going to be content with whatever he decides and I'm going to let that go. I want to encourage you as much as you are able to reconcile any relationship that you have and do it as quick as you can. Look, people are jerks. They are. Kids especially. I tell my son this all the time for what he faces in terms of, well, I don't say jerks. I say they're mean. I say kids are mean. Shouldn't say jerk. Kids can be really mean and cruel. And unless you have a rock-solid foundation of finding your confidence in God, you're never going to be able to reconcile those relationships. But if you want to have peace at night, if you want to have rest at night, if you want to have confidence in the evening that I can sleep, reconcile those relationships. Say, look, I'm sorry for whatever I said that made you so upset. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to pursue peace as much as I can. I'm just going to leave it there, knowing that my confidence is in God. It's not in myself. So, here we go. You ready for the quiz? Uh, Church, I'd like to find your bulletin. Take out your um, sermon notes that have been provided for you. Young people, you got one of these? 
You can write on anything you have. It doesn't have to be one of these. But down at the very bottom, you'll see I've made room for a quiz. So I'm going to give the whole church a quiz here. I don't have a pencil. Oh, all right. Uh, borrow one. I don't know what to say. Thank you for asking, though. All right. And you, you can borrow one. I'll have this up on the screen. This is, this is helpful for you. This is nothing that's going to be graded. So here's my question. My question is, what tempts you? I'm going to put three options up here. You have to pick the one that best defines you. All right, here we go. Question number one. Would you rather binge watch your favorite shows? Is that kind of what you want? Would you rather upgrade your computer processor? Or would you rather eat until you're so full that you have to take a nap? Everybody's got to pick one. So on that first line, A, B, or C, which one of those tempts you the most? Binge washing your favorite show, upgrading your computer processor, or eat until you're so full that you have to take a nap? I think I might know which one most people have put down there, but all right, everybody have an answer? It's A, B, or C. Just write it down the line. All right, question number two. Which one of these best defines you? Which tempts you? To get the best seat in the movie theater when the show starts. Uh, to drive the fastest, most expensive car. Or to sleep in until noon. Which one of these would best define something that tempts you? Hopefully you, you recognize one of those. You're like, no, nah, movie theater doesn't bother me at all. Nope, sleeping in. I like to get up early, but man, the fastest car, that's what. Like whatever best defines you, A, B, or C, write it down on the line. Everybody got an answer? All right, question number three. Which tempts you the most to surf Amazon.com for hours? And that might be whatever your favorite shopping site might be. To become the teacher's pet. Or to be the first in line at the buffet so that you can get the best food off the top. Which one of those most tempts you? Are you somebody that really enjoys looking for what I can get next? Are you somebody who really wants people to like you and love you and you like hearing your name called on the most? Or are you the type of person that just wants to get there before others because you know those pork chops are going to go quick? All right, if you, if you all have an answer, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the code for this, right? Because the A's were all the lust of the eyes, the B's were all the pride of life, and the C's were all lusts of the flesh. I, I'm curious, uh, I, I want to ask, but I wonder if, you're, if you all have a variety, um, some are A, B, and C, which you were done, or maybe you're all A's or all B's or all C's. I know when I took this, I was all B. Like the, the, the A's and the C's weren't as attractive to me as uh, the pride of life. I know that that's a place then where I'm going to be tempted the most. And that's why I wanted to give you this quiz because even for our graduates, church onto all of us, these traps have been set for you. That's the world you live in. We need to know here from God's word how to best handle it. Number one, call upon the Lord. Number two, remind yourself that you belong to God. And number three, seek to reconcile your relationships as quickly as possible. Will you bow and pray with me?